chapter 16, we came across the story of Hagar, didn't we? That's kind of what we called it. It's the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, or Abram. We can't change this. I keep going back to Abraham, Abram. It's hard to do that. Tonight we get to go to, with Abraham, all right? He's gonna, God's going to change his name. So we witnessed Abram walking in the flesh, didn't we? And not the spirit. That, that's what that whole thing represents. And it'll come, come to bear a little bit more when we get to the Isaac Ishmael story about the flesh and the spirit. And, and Paul really makes a big deal out of that. Uh, so he's walking in the flesh. Abraham listened to the wrong voice. It happened to be the voice of his wife. And it was kind of set up like it was in the garden, right? That he hearkened to the voice of his wife. And uh, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil kind of moment. So it was a moment of choice. So we, we saw Abram walking in the flesh. We saw Sarah. She's the barren woman. She's acting in desperation. Uh, I got to give her a little bit of credit, though. I mean, it's just things aren't just working the way that they thought it would work, and the way they thought God would work it out. It's just not happening. Uh, Hagar's the slave girl who became Abram's second wife. And uh, together they had a child called Ishmael, which means God hears. He was born at the end of chapter 16. And then uh, things got so bad between Hagar and Sarah that uh, they had to part ways, right? In fact, it was pretty rough. Sarah got pretty rough on her, and it says that she fled into the wilderness, and she found a friend in the wilderness, didn't she? Who, who'd she find in the wilderness? And who found her? Yeah, God. In fact, she said, you're the God who sees, right? And I love that last question she asked. Hagar said, have I seen the one who sees me? I like that. Have I seen the one? That's kind of when salvation comes, isn't it? Is when you see the one who sees you. Hmm. All right, so let's get into chapter 17 a little bit here. Let's get our timeline where we are in the story. This kind of puts it all together as far as with numbers. We've got a few numbers to throw out. Genesis 12, Abram's journey starts when he's 75 years old. So that's a big deal now. I mean, think about that. You're 75 years old, you're advanced in years, you're ready to think about retirement, and God says, let's don't retire, let's refire, right? Let's, let, let's go forward, let's do something new right here. So, so they do it. Abram departed from his kinfolk and his country when he was 75 years old in Genesis 12. Genesis 16, we just saw it end. He was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And now we pick it up in Genesis 17, and he's 99 years old. All right? He's 99 years, he's going to be 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah's going to be 90. That's, that's kind of out there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so now, we're, so we're 24 years into his faith journey. 24 years. And at this point, it's, it's, almost, it's real clear, especially with what he says to God here, here in, in chapter 17. Abram thinks that Ishmael is going to be the promised son. He thinks this is just how God's going to work it out. But did you notice there that, that from 86 to 99, there's like a, a 13-year gap in the story, the end of chapter 16 to the beginning of chapter 17. So why, why the gap? Why the gap? Let me throw out some suggestions to you. Why, why was there a season of seemingly silence? Why, why the gap? Uh, was it a season of regrouping because of all the strife and all the turmoil in the family? It could have been. Uh, God does that sometimes. He kind of holds us out until we kind of can regroup and get our bearings back again. Sometimes it takes a minute. Now, was Abraham under discipline for all the, the things that happened with Hagar? It's, it's very possible. Or the third suggestion, I kind of go with this one a little bit more, or is life just like that? I mean, are you going to wake up with a new revelation and a new word from God every day? I mean, like a directive word. I'm not talking about an encouraging word that we need like bread for our daily bread kind of thing. 
is, is life just like that? There's sometimes, you know, there's just silent periods. There's just sometimes that things just, it's, it's just not quite as hot and heavy as maybe you would even like it to be. Sometimes God's just silent, and we don't talk a lot about that. We, you know, that going through the silent season won't get you on the TV for the testimony time, but it's a reality we have to deal with, isn't it? God's not as chattery as we are, all right? So when you, when you don't seem to have a new word from God, you've got to continue doing what he told you in the past, because sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes God will just remain silent. Here's a couple faith lessons right here. When you walk with God, there'll be wonderful times of miracles, high points, and great events. There'll be some of that. And I'm, I'm glad. I could, I could sit here and talk to you all night about some of those high points in my life, and, and uh, not the least being D23. We, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, so what, what do you do when those high points happen? Well, you enjoy them. You ride it out as long as you can. You celebrate. You share, share that story with other people. Help build their faith. Share it with unbelievers. Maybe bring them to faith. And then when, it, when it's all over and it kind of dies down and all the new wears off, you, you, you remember it, right? You put it in your faith bank and you just, you may have to rehearse it in your mind every now and again and just, you remember the goodness of the Lord. So, so when those kind of things happen, just, just do that, do that. But also remember that there'll be long periods of time where there's just normal days. That's something we don't talk about much as, as, as preachers and pastors. Uh, maybe even just boring routine days, a lot. You know, we, we got the book of Acts, and we look at that as a, a, a pattern for church life and church function and things of that nature. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story in the book of Acts, how God created the church, or he, he birthed the church, let's say it like that. Uh, but, but you know what? Those, those 28 chapters of the book of Acts, they cover a 40-year period. So it's just highlights, isn't it? It's just a bunch of highlights for over 40 years. Not even one highlight a year, actually. So what, what were they doing most of the time? Well, they were going to church. They were fellowshipping. They were eating fried chicken. They were eating banana pudding together. They were just having times. They were having rough days, good days, bad days. All that, all that normal stuff that we deal with was happening a lot. So what do you do? You've you got to stay faithful even in the routine times. In fact, that's really where the rubber hits the road because a lot of folks can get happy on the mountaintop, but what are you going to do when you come down from there? Right, so this is this is just the last of that that faith lesson: ritual, discipline, faithfulness, and hope hold us together in these times when it seems to be just routine. Ritual, you need your rituals, right? That's kind of what we do every Sunday and every Wednesday. We we put that in our schedules and we come even when we don't feel like it, right? I mean, think about how many rituals that they just kind of keep you going every day, and they're not religious rituals necessarily. Some of them might be, but. Um, I mean, you, 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 you got a routine where you get up out of the bed and you, you go do certain stuff and then you, then, then you go get your coffee and then, then you kind of get a little cobwebs out of your head and then you go and get ready and then you're right on time and you get your lunch fixed and then you go out and that's every day. Why do you do it every day like that? Well, so you don't forget the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's why you do it every day. Because what happens if you mess up your routine? Then you get to work and you forgot your lunch. <laughs> it's just the way it is, isn't it? Routine's really important to us. It's real important. I'm glad I don't have to wake up. Every Imagine if you had to get up every morning and just try to figure out what you was going to do. That'd be just awful. I did that for 42 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got paid for it. <laughs> That's right. All right, so just remember, there'll be routine days. All right, let's pick up some text. Genesis 17, 1. Right here, Genesis 17, 1. There's a lot packed in this one verse. In fact, it would be a, a, a teaching all by itself, really. When Abram was 99 years old, there we go. 
When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. All right, let's unpack that. So the Lord appeared to Abram. He appeared. Wonder, wonder what he did. I wonder what, what that looked like. You know, we don't have any text on it, so we don't have any idea. But I, I, my imagination is, what, what was that? Did God kind of come like he did in, in the temple and tabernacle with like this fog and this mist? Or, or did God just appear? I don't know. He got his attention somehow. That's a good way to put it. He got it. And he says these four things to him. He says, I am almighty God. We'll unpack a little bit of this in a minute. Walk before me, be blameless, and then God begins to reaffirm his promise. Because sometimes we just need that, don't we? We need that reaffirmation constantly in this world. All right, so I am almighty God. That's, that's the first thing God says to him. God just kind of announces. Now, he's, God's not new to him. He's had several encounters. I mean, why, the reason he's in this place right now is because of God. So, but God announces himself as the almighty God. I am the Almighty God. This is where we get, this is the first mention of the idea of El Shaddai. El Shaddai. El being God, Shaddai meaning powerful, or even some people said literally it means the many-breasted one or the all-sufficient one. The one who supplies, basically. Nurtures, kind of thing. So God is introducing to him, him in, in this way. He's saying, I am the all-powerful, all-sufficient one, and I am the one Abram, you need to know this. I am the one who can do anything. You hear that? Now, why did Abram need to be told this? Why did he need to be, you tell me. I got some ideas next, but you tell me. Why did, why did Abram need to be told that, that I'm the God that can do anything? Exactly. He needed his faith boosted, Right? He needed that. He needed to be reminded. Don't we need that sometimes? Right, so that, that's kind of what I put down right here. Here's, there are times in our journey where we need to be reminded about the one who we're dealing with. That we're dealing with the God who is the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. He's El Shaddai. He's the almighty God. He can do absolutely anything. So if he speaks and says something, we can trust it. We can trust what he says because we can trust him. All right? Because sometimes we get overwhelmed by the impossibilities. I mean... You know, they, they've kind of given up on this promise a little bit. I mean, it's just natural. I mean, not, even, not to even throw off on them. I mean, I, how, how would you have done in that situation? You just thought Ishmael was the deal, right? So sometimes you get overwhelmed by the impossibilities and you forget. You forget that God can do anything. Now, you can't. I can't. But he can. Mm -hmm. And this almighty God, this idea, God in this chapter right here, he says, I will... Twelve times in this chapter. That's real big. That's really big storyline. And I will. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Reaffirming. Because what, what is faith based on anyway? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So you're going to need the word of God in order to have faith. And God just comes and says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And the, and the idea, the word, the phrase, my covenant, is said nine times in this chapter. So God's serious about this. All right. And this announcement is meant to inspire faith. That's what it's meant, to inspire, to breathe new life and faith into Abraham's soul and to Sarah too. God says, walk before me. I am almighty God, walk before me. God reminds Abram right here of his responsibilities. And we got responsibilities, just like Abraham had. We, we got them too. 
I like the idea of the word partnership right here. That we are all in partnership with God. And the call of God involves this partnership where God does his part. He's the almighty God. I, I can trust him to do his part. But that doesn't alleviate me of my responsibilities. I also have a part to play in this relationship, don't, don't we? Don't you? I mean, we, we, we've got to walk before God. We, we've got to live our lives aware of God, to walk before him as, as if he's watching. Now, depending on where you're living, that might scare the piss off of you to realize God's watching. But if you need help, I'm glad he's watching. That means I'm going to get help as I need it. And if I need protection, I'm, I'm glad he's watching. All right? Now, if I'm living in sin, I need you to turn your head at this point. You know? So, it's to live knowing you're under the watchful eye and the watchful care of your heavenly Father. That's this walk before me I did. And, and it also entails the idea of to walk pleasing unto the Lord. That's something we kind of lost in our, in, our, in our Christian world these days. That our life is meant to be lived, to be pleasing to the Lord. Everybody's running around looking for their Christian high. Everybody's running around looking for their worship high. Everybody's running around looking for something that will help them and bless them. Well, that's not what life's about. Life's about us living pleasing unto the Lord. That's what he tells Abraham. This is your responsibility to walk. Jesus said it like this, that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're kind of on that on Sunday mornings right now. All right. So let's walk before me. Walk before God means to do God's will. Abraham, do my will. Now here's the secret. This is the secret that begins to unfold as, as you learn God and as you learn his word. The secret is that you realize that God's will is always the best choice for you. See, a lot of people think, well, if I do God's will, that means I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z and do this, and I'm going to have to give up this and go there. Well, you probably will. But guess what's best for you? To do what he designed for you to do when he had you in mind when he created you. That's what's best for you, whatever that is. And that, that's, in fact, we're going to get on that, I, I think, Sunday, just talking about the will of God, loving God with all of your heart. Loving Him with all your heart to where you realize that what He has in mind for you is what's best for you. God's will is our highest good, amen? It's our highest good. And if you want to have, live a successful life, at the end of your days, may it be said of you that you did the will of God in your generation. That's what needs to be said over your life. Whatever that might be. Nobody's going to count the money. In fact, they're going to fight over it. <laughs> Nobody's going to count how many cars you got. They're going to try to give it up to the kids and the nephews and the nieces and all that kind of stuff. Nobody's going to remember the house. They're going to do that. They're going to repaint the place and they're going to make it look like theirs now. It ain't going to be about you no more. What's going to matter is if we did the will of God or not. One day we're going to stand before him on that. And we're hoping to get that well done, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you ought to be living for. That's this idea of walk before me. Mm -hmm. Every now and again, you ought to order your steak well done just to remind yourself. <laughs> Father knows best. He says, walk before me and be blameless. What's this idea of blameless? Blameless is actually a Bible word. We see it show up several times in the text. It shows up in the New Testament. It simply means this, to be single-hearted. It's like that focus, that laser focus. You, you be blameless. You, you live your life and tailor your life in such a way that you're blameless, that there couldn't be any blame or reproach thrown on you. Be single-minded. It's the opposite of being double-minded. Where did we hear that before? 
Well, James told us that, didn't he? Said a double-minded person will not receive anything. They like this this wave tossed to and fro, right? They're not going to receive a double-minded person doesn't receive anything from God because what pleases God is a person with a single-hearted devotion to be fully devoted to the Lord. So being blameless is about our dedication and our faithfulness, right? Paul uses this word blameless right here in, in 2.15 of Philippians. That you may become blameless. He's talking to believers now, us. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Boy, he's got a lot of other good content right there in chapter 2. I wish we could read the whole thing. Hmm. So in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we are to be a people who are blameless before the Lord and the folks around us. So he says, be blameless, Abraham. So, how about this? I want to be blameless, but I have blemishes. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, that's all of us. Isn't it? I want to be blameless, but I have blemishes. So what do I do? Is there hope? We have, thank God. We've got, we've got them listed right there. Forgiveness. Thank God for forgiveness. Amen. Where we can reset. We, we kind of wipe the slate clean and start fresh and anew. I've needed that several times in my life. We've got forgiveness. We've got mercy. We've got grace. We've got redemption. Thank God for that. For when we stumble, we fall. So this idea of being blameless, it's a tall order now for all of us. But it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. And thank Jesus we don't have to do it by ourselves. We don't have to do it by ourselves. All of this obedience we're called to, we don't do it on our own. We don't just do it in our own strength and power. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God to help us, to fill us, to empower us, to teach us, to correct us, to guard us, to guide us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. God himself has come and then made you his temple. He's going to live in us to help us be blameless. Amen. Amen. So listen to this. This is a little something I picked up from Dallas Willard through the years. He... Uh, he said, God supplies the grace, and we supply the effort. i, I got to turn the air on, guys. It is getting frying hot in here. <coughs> what y'all wanted on about 63? i got to get this, this heat. Some of y'all sweating and making me hot. <laughs> so God supplies the grace, and we supply the effort. Remember that. God supplies the grace, and... You, you supply the effort. I supply the effort. And God's not, not opposed to our effort at all. In fact, he invites it. He, he didn't say, I'll save you. He said, come and follow me. I mean, you've got some following to do to get to salvation, to get to the Savior. You've you got to step out. You've got to make decisions. You've got to make changes. What grace, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to the attitude of earning. You see, that's different. You can't earn this thing. You can't earn anything in this. But you've got a lot of effort we've got to put in. Amen? If you're going to grow spiritually, don't you have some effort to put in? Mm -hmm. So in order for us to live as a, as a person who walks before God and is blameless, it's, it's going to take some effort. All right? Let's get some more text. God speaks to him. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face. What a great response right there. He fell on his face and, talk, and God talked with him. How about that? that, that I, I, I just highlighted that in my text. God talked with him. How about that kind of conversation? That would be, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? 
God talked to him saying. So now, just a quick overview, because I can't cover all the details of chapter 17. It'd take us five or six hours to cover all the stuff that's in chapter 17. And you don't want to give me half of that, do you? God talks to him about his descendants that are going to come, says some really powerful things about them. Kings are going to come from him. God talks to him about the promised land, that this land of Canaan is going to be yours and your descendants. It's going to belong to you forever. Uh, he's going to talk to him about his name change, about Sarah's name change. He's going to give him the sign of the covenant, and we're going to deal with those two. He's going to say Sarah's going to have a son. So that's, a, that's new information now. Right now it was just Abram, you're going to have a son. Now Sarah's going to be the mother of this child. We know that now, this new information. God promises to bless Ishmael in this chapter. God, prom uh, God calls the new son that's going to be born through Sarah, Isaac, which means laughter. Mm -hmm. We'll get to Isaac later in, in the story. And then Abraham obeys the word of the Lord as the chapter ends. Okay, so there's a quick overview there. Let's, let's go over these two major things. Let's go over this new name and this new sign, these two things, the new name that God gives him. So in, in this chapter, there are four new names that are revealed. Four new names that are revealed in chapter 17. The first one we've already talked about, Almighty God. God revealed himself, his name as Almighty God. This is the first time that the idea of all, now he's always been seen as all-powerful and almighty through all of creation and all that in Genesis 1 and 2. But this is the first time we get, we get a name, I am Almighty God. I'm El Shaddai. Now we're going to get another name. Abram is going to go and change his name. God's going to change his name to Abraham. Verse 5 and 6. And then Sarah, her name's going to change to Sarah in 15 and 16. And then Isaac, he's going to have a new name. The baby it, it gets a name. Isaac. Laughter. Or the one, or he laughs. What was the importance of the changing of the name? All right. We're, we're fixing to get that right now. We're fixing and get that right now because I think it is very, very significant. Because God changes people's names throughout the scripture. You see it a few times here and there, don't you? What, what are some that you remember? Paul. Paul to Saul, or Saul to Paul. Mm -hmm. Jacob to Israel. That's very significant, right? That becomes the name of the new nation. And then you got uh, Simon was changed to Peter, the rock, right? You got several name changes throughout the scripture. All right, so now let's read the text. These two verses right here in, in 17, 5 and 6. This is Abram. Listen to what it says. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Hmm. Pretty powerful. Now here's Sarah. He says it's about Sarah. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her new name. Her name's going to be Sarah now. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. All right? All right so now what's in a name? Lots in a Bible name, right? Lots in names, period. Now, if I, if I call out a few of these names, it just, all things come, come to mind. All sorts of things come to mind. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Ah, yeah, that's everybody's love deal, right? Uh, George Washington. That, that's, that's a powerful name in our history, right? Uh, Benedict Arnold. Dun, dun, dun. Traitor, right? Abraham Lincoln. Lots in that name, right? Babe Ruth. Yeah, that's one of my names. <laughs> I had to throw that one in. I had to throw baseball something in there, right? Now, now we get to some Bible name. Moses. There's a lot in that name, right? 
His very name means drawn out. Drawn out of the Nile River. He, he'll be the one to draw out God's people out of Egypt. Hmm, that's big. Elijah, that's a big name. Big name. The Lord is God. Jezebel. Maybe been the only one in history after what the Bible said about her. Did nobody mock the kid like that? I'd hope not anyway. Dear Lord, that'd be awful. David. And of course we got the name that's above all names. It's Jesus. There's a lot in the name according to scripture. There's a lot there. So now let, let's, let's, let's think about this. Abram, his, his original name, Abram, means exalted father. His new name, Abraham, means father of a multitude. All right. Sarai, we're not sure about all the origins of Sarai's name. Check several scholars and all that kind of thing. It, the idea that comes closest is the idea of contentious. She's a fighter. Okay, that kind of lady. But her name being changed to Sarah, it means princess. It's princess. All right, so now. Let me just do this. This is something I learned on, on my, uh, studying with some of my Hebrew buddies. Abram goes to Abraham and Sarah goes to Sarah. All right? Now, listen. Basically, God just added an H to their name. Really. Just an H right here. Okay, now what, what you have right here on this is, this is, this is the, that to Jews, this is like the unspeakable name of God. Now, it's read from right to left. All right? That's the yav Hey vav Hey. Okay? The Y-H-V-A-H. What we, what we come up right there, we come up with the word Yahweh. You've heard that Yahweh, right? And then through some translation problems, you, you get the word Jehovah out of it in some English translations, okay? So, but th this, is, this is like yad Hey vav Hey. okay? So what God does with their names, okay? This is what my Jewish friends have told me. God took one Hey, which is an H, from the middle of his name and placed it in the middle of Abram's name. And he took one from the end of his name and placed it on the end of Sarai's name. And it goes from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. And what God's doing with the name change is he's putting himself right into their names. And it's really not even, it's, it's just a breath. It's like, huh, Abraham, Sarah. It's just a breath. Okay, now. Put it together. What is God saying by these name changes? Okay. Did you just see what I just did? Okay. Did that make, make some kind of sense? And you just got to chew on it a little while, see if you like it or agree with it. God is saying to them, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to make my promise come to pass in you. I'm going to breathe my breath of life. I'm going to breathe my breath of life into you, and this child... And all of your future is going to be by my might and by my power. You hear what I'm talking about? It's really a Genesis 2 kind of moment. Remember Genesis 2 when Adam is created in that Genesis 2 passage when we go into the, the Eden story in Genesis 2 where God forms the man and then he <sighs> breathes into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. Well, what's God going to do with Abraham and Sarah? What's he going to do with Sarah's womb? <sighs> He's going to blow into it. <laughs> breathe his life. Let's say it like that. We can use the, kind of the metaphor. He's going to breathe his life into her body. That's what God's going to do. And to commemorate all of that, he changes their name to that idea that he's putting himself into their lives. 
like they'd never seen it before. You hear what I'm talking about? So he's going to commemorate resurrection life that he's given to them right now and that every time from here on out, from this Genesis 17 moment, from here on out, every time somebody speaks their name, they're going to be reminded that it was God's power who breathed life into their lifeless bodies and caused them to have a child and caused this new nation to be born. Because see, this is God's nation now. This is God's people. This is not just how people do it. That's why God's taking all this time and doing it way different. It's way different. And, this, and Israel is going to know that they are a nation that lives off of the breath of God. That's what they are supposed to know anyway. And the church is supposed to know that now that we come into the new covenant. That we, we can't live without the breath of God. We can't live without the wind or the spirit of God. He alone is the giver of life. You see what I'm talking about? Questions on that? You got to chew on that a little bit. So that's what I present to you as the reason for the name change. It's that ha. Just breath. Resurrection life is in God's breath. <laughs> All right. Ready? Get some more text? Oh, we're clicking along. We, we, we're making good time. Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Now he's going to give them a sign here. So, so they've got the new name. Now he's going to give them a new sign. Okay. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So this, this nation is going to be marked. Most pagans don't do this. Now so there were some Nations that practice this already, but most of them don't, okay? But to them, God is making a covenant. This is going to be the sign that you are my people. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house, whoever you buy is bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, they're all to be circumcised, okay? So this is the sign. Male circumcision is to be the sign of the covenant that God gave Abraham and his descendants, all right? And all, as far as I understand, in, in American society, that, has also, that, that custom of circumcision is also carried over. Now, we don't do it on the eighth day anymore. I think the Jews still do it on the eighth day. But interestingly enough, on the eighth day, in, in natural terms, they do it today with medicine and all that kind of thing. The eighth day is the time, huh? Do they do it on the eighth day as well? They don't? The eighth day, medically speaking, scientifically speaking, is, is the time where the blood clots the most. There's more nutrients in the body of the, of the male child on the eighth day uh, than the previous seven. So you can just look that up on Google if you need to. Now here's the interesting thing about Abraham. He's 99 years old. That's a lot, uh, that's a lot to ask. Ishmael's 13. Everybody else in the house, they're grown men. Mm -hmm. But this is going to be their way to show their allegiance to God. All right? it's, it's one of the reasons why the Jews didn't participate in a lot of the Greek games and things of that nature. Because a lot of the, a lot of the, the Olympics and all that kind of thing, the athletes of, of ancient days, 
all, all the males competed in the nude. And a lot of Jews would compete because they would be poked fun of because of this idea right here. Okay? It'd be obvious. Now note, note this. It's not a coincidence that God chose the reproductive organ for his covenant. Because Ab Abram has just kind of went the wrong direction with all that. And God said, no, no, we've we, we got to make a change here. All right, so circumcision becomes the sign. Now, where, where does that leave us? Because Paul talks a lot about circumcision, actually. If, if you kind of know your Bible, you just know that it starts right here in biblical history, in Genesis 17. If Paul speaks about a different kind of circumcision. He, he talks about a spiritual circumcision, okay? Let's, let's go over to uh, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. God marks his people through a, a spiritual circumcision. See what he says, all right? In Jesus, in him, in Jesus, you also, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Not by doctors. Here, here's what spiritual circumcision looks like. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's kind of interesting how Paul brings all this to bear. So, in fact, Paul will say that, that physical circumcision really doesn't mean anything anymore. That's, that's, not the, that's not the avenue God uses to mark his people. It's fine if you want to do that, but that's not, the, that's not how you know. How do you know somebody is God's people now? Well, because they don't live by the flesh. Because the knife of God's spirit has cut back the flesh. They don't live like that anymore. They live in the new life, right? So God circumcises our hearts, cuts back the flesh, right? And he's still doing that, right? All right. All right. You good? So we got a new name. We got a new sign. And look at all these responses. This, we'll wrap it up with this. Faithful responses right here. In verse 3, we saw Abraham... When God came to him, God appeared to him. What did he do? He fell on his face. Wonder why. Wonder why. What else are you going to do? God Almighty comes, and what, what's the? In fact, when God shows up, what do we almost see everybody doing? They're either falling forward or falling out, one or the other. When God shows up, right? In fact, in the Bible, most people, they, they, you know, they didn't do like a lot of the other things that's portrayed in today. They, don't, they didn't fall this way like a little swan dive. Most folks fell over face first like they were dead. He fell on his face. It's just a sign of worship, isn't it? That's a great response when you get in the presence of God just to worship him. Another response we see in chapter, excuse me, verse 17 is Abram fell on his face and laughed. This is when he got the name Isaac. You're going to have a son, and Sarah's going to have a child. Isn't it funny? He laughed when he, he said, well, yeah, that old lady you married to, she's going to have a son, and he laughed. <laughs> I wonder if she was in earshot. I don't know. But now he laughs. He, he laughs in joy. Now, Sarah later will laugh. The angel will catch her on it. She's going to laugh, and she's going to kind of laugh in, in disbelief or unbelief. So he fell on his face two different times. 
Okay. And Abram said this. He said, he also has this response. This is interesting. After God said, Sarah's going to have a child. Name him Isaac. Abram says this. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Isn't that interesting? He, he loved his son. He loved, he's 13 years old now. You know, just getting to the point of adulthood in their, in their world. And he says, how about Ishmael? I wonder if he thought, you mean to tell me we're going to have to nurse another baby? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking too much on that deal. Uh, but if you're 100 years old, you don't want to think about getting up in the middle of the night taking care of a child. That would be kind of rough on you, wouldn't it? How about Ishmael? Let's go with that one, God. How about that? And God just flat out said in the, in the text, no. Sarah's going to have a child. It's going to be Sarah. And the last response that we see is in verse 23 through 27. You'll have to read that later. Abram, Abraham now. Abraham did what the Lord said. He went through all the camp. All the men took the sign. He did what God said. And you kind of get the idea. This is why God is using this man. Because see what he's doing is. He, he, living in a world that's gone crooked. And is perverse. Kind of like Paul said. Living in that world that's crooked and it's wicked. And it's gone the other way. It's gone away from God. Abram, Abraham now. He comes and he's the man that will do what God says. Is he perfect? No, he makes a lot of mistakes. Hagar's one of them. But when it all shakes down, he will do what God says. And that's the ultimate response of a believer, isn't it? Is that you don't just hear, but you do what God says. Amen. Old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? There's your another song, Noah. <laughs> so, all right, so it's a new day now right it's a new day they're new people they've been invigorated or inspired with new faith they've got a new name they're new covenant people now and they're about to have a child okay so I need you to read ahead now we're going to get into chapter 18 and some of 19 next week so go ahead and read 18 and 19 and we're going to get into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah next week and it is a sordid story it's a rough story all right? So, all right, let's be faithful, amen? Let's, let's, let's do what God, because really God calls all of us to the same walk. That's why Paul uses Abram, Abraham. I keep saying, I'm stuck on Abram now. <laughs> he keeps using Abraham. Paul uses him to show us what faith looks like. So, so think about that. Just, just chew on it the next couple of days. Walk before God. Become more aware of God. Seek first his kingdom is what Jesus says. And all his righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you. Walk before God and be blameless. That's important. It's important for all of us. Not just Abraham. Abraham. That's important for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this story of Abraham. I thank you for his faith, God. It, it inspires us to draw closer to you. It inspires us to, to see what faith looks like. It inspires us to, to maybe take another step with you and to trust you a little more. Thank you for this revelation, Lord. Help, help us to see you as the Almighty, that you can do anything. Maybe we're facing some things that uh, we just have to face. we just got some seasons, some dark places we've got to walk through. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to see you for who you really are. To see you for who you really are. So that we can believe you for even the impossible to be made possible. I believe, I hear Jesus saying that. With God, all things are possible. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you watch. Thank you that you hear. 
Thank you that you answered. Bless us. Inspire our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.